Chapter 7 They sat across from her, Jalil and his wives, at a long, dark brown table. Between them, in the center of the table, was a crystal vase of fresh marigolds and a sweating pitcher of water. The red-haired woman, who had introduced herself as Nilafar's mother, Afsun, was sitting on Jalil's right. The other two, Kadiha and Nargis, were on his left. The wives had on a flimsy black scarf, which they wore not on their heads, but tied loosely around their neck, like an afterthought. Miriam, who could not imagine that they would wear black for Nana, pictured one of them suggesting it, or maybe Jalil, just before they'd been summoned. Afsun poured water from the pitcher and put the glass before Miriam on a checkered cloth coaster. Only spring and it's warm already, she said, made a fanning motion with her hand. Have you been comfortable? Nargis, who had a small chin and curly black hair, asked. We hope you've been comfortable. This ordeal must be very hard for you, so difficult. The other two nodded. Miriam took in their plucked eyebrows, the thin, tolerant smiles they were giving her. There was an unpleasant hum in Miriam's head. Her throat burned. She drank some of the water. Through the wide window behind Jalil, Miriam could see a row of flowering apple trees. On the wall beside the window stood a dark wooden cabinet. It was a clock, and it was a clock, and a framed photograph of Jaleel and three boys holding a fish. The sun caught the sparkle in the fish's scales. Jaleel and the boys were grinning. Well, Afsun began, I, that is we, have brought you here because we have some very good news to give you. Miriam looked up. She caught a quick exchange of glances between the women over Jaleel, who slouched in his chair looking unseeingly at the pitcher on the table. It was Kadiha, the oldest looking of the three, who turned her gaze to Miriam, and Miriam had the impression that this duty too had been discussed, agreed upon, before they had called for her. You have a suitor, Kadiha said. Miriam's stomach fell. A what? she said through suddenly numb lips. A gastigar, a suitor. His name is Rashid. Kadiha went on. He is a friend of a business acquaintance of your father's. He's a Pashtun from Kandar originally, but he lives in Kabul, in the De Mazang district, in a two-story house that he owns. Afsun was nodding, and he does speak Farsi, like us, like you, so you won't have to learn Pashto. Miriam's chest was tightening. The room was reeling up and down, the ground shifting beneath her feet. He's a shoemaker, Kadihad said, saying now, but not some kind of ordinary street-side moochie, no, no. He has his own shop. And he is one of the most sought-after shoemakers in Kabul. He makes them for diplomats, members of the presidential family, that class of people. So you see, he will have no trouble providing for you. Miriam fixed her eyes on Jalil, her heart somersaulting in her chest. Is this true? What she's saying, is it true? But Jalil wouldn't look at her. He went on chewing the corner of his lower lip and staring at the pitcher. Now he is a little older than you, Afsun chimed in. But he can't be more than... Forty? Forty-five at the most? Wouldn't you say, Nargis? Yes, but I've seen nine-year-olds given to men twenty years older than your suitor, Miriam. We all have. What are you, fifteen? That's good. Solid marrying age for a girl. There was an enthusiastic nodding at this. It did not escape Miriam that no mention was made of her half-sisters, Sadihe or Nahid, both her own age, both students of the Mehri school in Harat both which plans to enroll in Kabul University. Fifteen, evidently, was not a good, solid marrying age for them. What's more, Nargis went on, he too has had a great loss in his life. His wife, we hear, died during childbirth ten years ago, and then, three years ago, his son drowned in a lake. 
It's very sad, yes. He's been looking for a bride the last few years, but hasn't found anyone suitable. I don't want to, Miriam said. She looked at Jaleel. I don't want this. Don't make me. She hated the sniffling, pleading tone of her voice, but she could not help it. Now, be reasonable, Miriam, one of the wives said. Miriam was no longer keeping track of who was saying what. She went on staring at Jaleel, waiting for him to speak up, to say that none of this was true. You can't spend the rest of your life here. You don't want a family of your own? Yes, a home, children of your own? You have to move on. True that it would be preferable that you marry a local, a Tahik, but Rashid is healthy and interested in you, and he has a home and a job, and that's all that really matters, isn't it? And Kabul is a beautiful and exciting city. You may not get another opportunity this good. Miriam turned her attention to the wives. I'll live with Mullah Fazola, she said. He'll take me in. I know he will. That's no good, Kadiha said. He's old, and so... She searched for the right word, and Miriam knew then that what she really wanted to say was, he's so close. She understood what they meant to do. You may not get another opportunity this good, and neither would they. They had been disgraced by her birth, and this was their chance to erase, once and for all, the last trace of their husband's scandalous mistake. She was being sent away because she was the walking, breathing embodiment of their shame. He's so old and weak, Kariha eventually said. And what will you do when he's gone? You'll, you'd be a burden to his family, as you are now to us. Miriam almost saw the unspoken words exit Kariha's mouth like foggy breath on a cold day. Miriam pictured herself in Kabul, a big, strange, crowded city that Jalil had once told her was some 650 kilometers to the east of Herat. 650 kilometers. The farthest she'd ever been from the Kolba was the two-kilometer walk she'd made to Jalil's house. She pictured herself living there, in Kabul, at the other end of that unimaginable distance, living in a stranger's house where she would have to concede to his moods and his issued demands, she would have to clean after this man, Rashid, cook for him, wash his clothes, and, then, and there would be other chores as well. Nana had told her what husbands did to their wives. It was the thought of these intimacies in particular, which she'd imagined as painful acts of perversity, that filled her with dread and made her break out in a sweat. She turned to Jalil again. Tell them, tell them you won't let them do this. Actually, your father has already given Rashid his answer, Afsun said. Rashid is here, in Herat. He has come all the way from Kabul. The nikah will be tomorrow morning, and then there will be a bus leaving for Kabul at noon. Tell them, Miriam cried. The woman grew quiet now. Miriam sensed that they were watching him too, waiting. A silence fell over the room. Jalil kept twirling his wedding band with a bruised, helpless look on his face. From inside the cabinet, the clock ticked on and on. Jalil Joe, one of the women said at last. Jalil's eyes lifted slowly, met Miriam's lingered for a moment, then dropped. He opened his mouth, but all that came forth was a single pained groan. Say something, Miriam said. Then Jaleel did, in a thin, threadbare voice. God damn it, Miriam Joe, don't do this to me, he said as though he was the one to whom something was being done. And with that, Miriam felt the tension vanish from the room. As Jaleel's wives began a new and more sprightly round of reassuring, Miriam looked down at the table. Her eyes traced the sleek shape of the table legs, the sinuous curves of his corners, the gleam of its reflective dark brown surface. She noticed that every time she breathed out, the surface fogged and she disappeared from her father's table. Afsun escorted her back to the room upstairs. 
When Afsun closed the door, Miriam heard the rattling of a key as it turned in the lock.